Welcome to the Indianola First podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. Our prayer is that this message will inspire you, encourage you, and launch you into life-changing action. So in a different time not so long ago, it was common practice for churches to have potluck dinners. And I remember, as probably many of you do, when, when this church indulged in such a practice. We'd set a date and time and then invite everyone to bring a few favorite dishes to share. And, and to keep it organized, we'd, we'd have last names beginning with A through M bring the main dish, and then N through Z bring a side dish and dessert. Then, then we'd change it up the next time so nobody had to do the same thing all the time. And I have to tell you, it was magnificent. <laughs> Everyone would work so hard to bring their very best dish. And it was always one, a wonderful feeling when your own dish went home completely empty because everyone enjoyed it so much. And our, our church even had a room for this activity. It was our fellowship hall that we call, called the fireside room. And since then, because of changes in culture and in the size of our church, we've changed that room into the fireside bistro, a fully functioning, full-service restaurant in which the prophets go for missions and community projects, and I love that. And in some ways, saying goodbye to the way we used to use that room, it was a little sad. Change is never easy. But frankly, we barely fit in that room 10 years ago and would never fit in there now if the whole church was invited. It's a good problem to have, right? And, and let's, let's face it, things have changed culturally too. It became increasingly more the norm for women to work, and there are even those husbands and wives that have two jobs to make ends meet. And also true that this church had quite a few home goings of one generation, and we've become a church of younger families with younger kids, which make time kind of a hard thing. And so my, my point is that culturally we have changed, and there just isn't as much, again, time for people to cook for potluck dinners as there used to be. And in the church, we usually called them pot blessings. I don't know if anyone's ever heard of that before. Uh, we call them that because we don't believe in luck. And Personally, I think we probably call them that because um, to just get to eat the plethora of food and have it prepared with everyone's best efforts, it was truly a blessing in every pot, right? A pot blessing. But as time went on, it was easier to call them potlucks because you were lucky to get anything good. <laughs> Again, because of a lack of time, people started bringing bags of chips I mean, you'd have a potluck and there'd be 20, 30 bags of chips. And like, oh, great effort there. And they bought store-bought salads from Hy-Vee, you know, and Hy-Vee chicken. It seemed like everybody brought Hy-Vee chicken there for a while. Not that I have anything against Hy-Vee chicken, but it's not homemade. It's not Pizza Ranch chicken either, just saying. <laughs> if anyone from Pizza Ranch is watching this, I will take a free buffet for saying that. So just so you know. <laughs> But nothing was homemade anymore, and they just weren't as, these gatherings weren't as satisfying to the foodies who attended them as maybe they used to be. But all the days of those massive buffets when you, could, couldn't, you couldn't really even try every dish, and, and every dish you tried was scrumptious. There were casseroles galore, homemade ham balls, compliments of Terry Warren, fried chicken right from the iron skillet. Less Hulse Pies, 
Some of you don't even know these names, but I'm telling you, it was awesome. Betty Perry's apple pies, the best deviled eggs you ever ate. So good that they shouldn't be called deviled eggs, they should be called angeled, angeled eggs, right? And someone always made that strawberry pretzel dessert with whipped cream on top. Who did that? I don't know, but it was good. Peggy, oh yeah, everything she made was good. Still is. And someone brought that pistachio fluff salad, and the only thing you could say when you ate all that was scrumptiousent, right? It's not even a word, but it is now. And honestly, I don't know when the first pot blessing was held, but I'd like to think, at least in my imagination, that when Jesus fed the 5,000 with just five loaves of bread and a couple of fish, that it kind of started the church down a road of the practice of feeding our faces right after our spirits were nourished by the word of God. Amen. Amen. And I mean, what do God's people love more than great biblical truth followed by an amazing calorie-filled buffet? It's awesome. We have an awesome life. I mean, you may be going through it, you may be struggling, you may be hurting, but just think about it. You're a Jesus person, you're a Christian, and you get to enjoy the Word of God, and you get to eat a lot of food. It's pretty cool. I mean, what could go bad in your life when you have those two things going for you, right? Maybe that's just me, but I, I love the fact that we get to eat. And in the account of Jesus feeding the 5,000, there's a ton of spiritual meat. I've I just been going over these, the, this, uh, this uh, scriptural account over and over this week, and th- there really is a ton of spiritual meat. And it's, it's, the, it's the only miracle performed by Jesus that's recorded in all four Gospels. And why is that? It's pretty important. They all thought it was important enough. The Holy Spirit led every single one of those guys to make sure that it was in their gospel account. And a very similar event is recorded in Matthew and Mark where Jesus feeds 4,000 in a very similar way, but they're different times and, and, they're, at different, and they're in different places, so we, we know it's not the same one said twice. That, that, that means that uh, th- this miracle was a big deal. This type of miracle was a big thing, big enough to be told, again, four times in the Bible, and really six if you count the other two, two different miracles, but they made a point to talk about it. So let's follow our pattern here in this series that we've been in, Foodies, by reading from the book of Luke. And let's stand and, and uh, let's read it together. I, I do want to make mention, you see the scriptures up there, that's where this same this same. Uh, account of this miracle is found in the other Gospels, and you write that down and read them later. But let's read Luke together this morning, starting with verse 10. When the apostles returned, they gave an account to him of all they had done, and taking them with him, he withdrew privately to a city called Bethesda. But the crowds were aware of this and followed him. And he welcomed them and began speaking to them about the kingdom of God and curing those who had need of healing." Now the day was ending, and the twelve came to him and said to him, Dismiss the crowd so that they may go into the surrounding villages and countryside and find lodging and get something to eat, because here we are in a secluded place. But he said to them, You give them something to eat. But they said, We have no more than five loaves and two fish, unless perhaps we go and buy food for all these people. For there were about five thousand men. But he said to his disciples, have them recline to eat in groups of about 50 each. They did so and had them all recline. And he took the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he blessed them and broke them and gave them to his disciples again and again to serve the crowd. 
And they all ate and were satisfied, and the broken pieces which they had left over were picked up, 12 baskets full. What an awesome story. Give Jesus a hand for doing such an awesome miracle. Yeah, amen. You can be seated. So we're going to get into some foodie facts. You know, I've been kind of doing this with the series, just foodie facts, and I'm not going to give you any up here this morning. I'm going to speak some of them to you. You can write down which ones are important, most important to you. Um, but anyway, we're going to have some foodie facts, just kind of dissect the story a little bit and look at some of the details. So we read the account of, of these events out of the Gospel of Luke, but I, I really want you to know I, I'm, I'm going to be pulling from all the other Gospel accounts as well. They all give some different details. They never, they never contradict. They're just different details. And it gives you a fuller picture. So, so here's what's going on in the life of Jesus at this time. He just found out, here's a foodie fact for you, he just found out that his good friend, his close friend, and his cousin, and his forerunner, the one who prepared the way for him, John the Baptist, or John the Baptizer, because they didn't have Baptists back then, John the Baptizer, just, he, Jesus just found out that he had been beheaded by King Herod. So you got to imagine what was going on in the heart, in the emotions, in, in just the, the mind of Christ at this time. This is a good, close family friend. This is someone that was very important to, to Jesus coming on the scene. And he finds out he's been killed in a brutal way. So, so we kind of see the humanity of Jesus here. He's going through it emotionally. He's been ministering, and his disciples have been as well. And and, and ministry, serving others, you you might know this, it's a little taxing. I heard a pastor say once that pastoring would be so easy if it wasn't for people. (laughs) You know, and and maybe there's truth to that, but of course if there was no people, you wouldn't have a reason to pastor, right? But, But ministry is not just for pastors, it's for everybody. We're all called to ministry. The word ministry means serve. We're all called to serve. Can you say Amen. Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm called to serve. Turn to the other neighbor and say, you're called to serve. We're all called to serve. We're all called to minister. Some of us do that uh, as a full-time kind of a vocational position, and others don't, and it's fine, but we're all called to it. But Jesus was physically, emotionally, and spiritually, he was tired. It's work to serve people. And he was already a bit fatigued when, when he hears this bad news, and, and you know, I, I just have to say this, Jesus was 100% human, and he was 100% God, making him 200% of a person, but he didn't tap into, I like to say, his Jesus powers, his Son of God powers when he was operating on the earth, because he wanted to be an example to us of how we can operate. We don't, we don't look at Jesus and go, well, he did it because he's Jesus. We can't do that. He experienced everything that we experienced in the way of temptation, in the way of struggle, in the way of bodily tiredness, mental fatigue. He, he experienced all of that. He didn't just go, oh, I need, I need a break from that and wipe it away. He walked the ground. He blazed the trail, if you will, so that we could follow him. And we need to know that we can operate in the same powers he operated in. He said, greater works will you do than even me. Greater works, greater miracles. Like, well, I don't perform miracles. Well, God does, but he uses you. Greater works through us. And maybe that's a good thing to say. Well, I haven't, had, I haven't seen any miracles flow through me. Well, maybe that's something to think about. 
we can operate the same way Jesus operated, at least, especially in, in these types of things here. So, he's already fatigued, he's tired, and he hears this bad news, so he decides it's time for a little seclusion. He needed a break from people. He just needed a moment to grieve. And both Luke and Matthew say specifically that he went to a secluded private place. And Matthew mentions that he took a boat and went to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. He got out of there. He left. He needed some time. Then we see that the crowds figured out where he was going. And they followed him out of the cities And Mark says that they ran to the place where Jesus was going to come ashore, and they actually got there before he did. So Jesus takes off. He's hurting. He's grieving. He's having this moment, you know, that we all can relate with. He's having this moment, and he tries to find some seclusion. He gets a little bit of it as he's going, as he's sailing across the Sea of Galilee in this little boat. And when he gets there, there they are. Oh, boy, here we go again, right? So what did Jesus do? Let's talk about what he didn't do first. He didn't retreat to some other place. He didn't tell them to leave him alone because he needed time to grieve. He didn't dismiss them in any way at all. On the contrary, Luke says, and we just read it, that upon seeing the crowds, he welcomed them, began teaching them, and he cured everyone who had any need to be healed. Mark says that Jesus had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. Matthew says he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Again, Jesus withdrew for some seclusion, some me and God time, but the crowds didn't allow him too much of that time. He was hurting, he was grieving, but the needs of those whom he came to serve were given priority over his own need in that moment. And he extended himself to people. He ministered to them with compassion and with grace. I'm just telling you what the story is showing here. And this takes a while. We we know that there were 5,000 men there, but we don't really know how many people total because that number doesn't include women and children. It could have been 10,000. If they all brought wives, it would have been 10,000. What if they all brought wives and families? It could have been 15. It it could have been 20. It could have been more than that. We really don't know. We just really know that it was 5,000 men plus women and children. And as Jesus is taking the time to teach and minister to these shepherdless sheep, it starts to get late. And remember, they had followed him to this secluded place. Some of them ran there ahead of him and didn't pack food or bedrolls or anything like that. This was Jesus, and they weren't going to miss their opportunity to meet with him. The the disciples, you know, let's call them Captain Obvious 1 through 12 here, they're like, they're looking around and going, um, th- there's a lot of people here. Uh, and it's getting late. And some of them are going to have to travel home. Jesus, can we wrap this thing up? Let's send them away. Let's dismiss the crowd. They need to find lodging, and they're, they're, they're getting pretty hungry. And as you all know, when church people get hungry, they start getting mean, <laughs> Right? I think the disciples were just trying to be practical with the situation here. And I love what Jesus said to them. I mean, they're like, Jesus, come on, wrap it up. 
I'm going to bring this story up the next time my wife does that while I'm preaching. Like, it's getting to be time. She never does that. They're like, wrap it up. We got, we got to get going. This is, it's getting late. This is a secluded place. We, these, these people got to go somewhere to eat. And, and, and what Jesus says to them is so classic. They're freaking out because they don't understand how the situation is going to end. They can't see what's going to happen. They can't see the answer to the problem. And so they're like, Lord, you got to dismiss them. We're tired. We know you're tired. We know you're tired. And, and these men, these women and children are bound to be getting tired and in need of food and shelter. So let's, let's close the party down for, for tonight. And I, I just, I'm, I'm camping there a little bit because I want you to get this picture. And Jesus says this. Again, it's classic. You give them something to eat. That's all he says. You give them something to eat. So they say back to Jesus, well, we don't have anything more than five loaves and two fishes which is really interesting to think about. How did they know at that moment that out of all these people, there were only five loaves of barley and two, barley bread and two, and two fishes? They hadn't provided them yet. I mean, they, I mean I'm sorry, they hadn't provided them as, as disciples. They'd gotten these from a young boy who was there, and the Gospel of John gives us that detail. And I'm reading between the lines here a bit, but it sure seems like the disciples were out trying to solve this problem of all these people being fed before they even talk to Jesus about it. Because they finally come to Jesus and they said, dismiss the crowds. It's getting late. We don't have any food. And he's like, you feed him. He's like, all we got is these fish. How did they know that if they weren't out looking for, let's see, you bring food? Did you bring food? You, there's only one guy. There's only, he's a little boy. He brought, he brought five loaves and a couple of fish. They were out trying to solve the problem before they even brought it to Jesus. Back to that young boy, he brought the loaves and fish, and he was the one who donated them to the cause. Is, is this really, the, the, this unnamed youngster, is he really the only foodie who prepared for this massive potluck? Is he the only one out of all these people, these 5,000 men plus women and children, who prepared and brought something to the table when they gathered? Again, Captain Obvious 1 through 12, um, they're like, this little bit of food isn't going to feed these people. Five loaves and two fish. But what you must be saying is that we should go and buy some bread for them all. The, the other gospel accounts tell us the amount suggested. They use the word uh, denar, denarii, 200 denarii. That must be, and it kind of seems like that's what was in the, the coffers of Jesus' ministry's treasure at the moment. And that amount equals about eight to $10,000 in today's money. So they're like, you must mean we should you know, distribute this fish and bread that we have, but go buy some more bread. And I love the language here. I mean, the disciples are trying to figure this out, right? And I love the language here. And you can almost see Jesus rolling his eyes. Because they're like, you must mean, we'll go get bread. We'll take the money, we'll go get bread. That's what you obviously mean. And Jesus doesn't even answer him with that. He's like, that's what I said? That's what you think I said? I like the term verily, verily. It doesn't use it here, but in the Bible, how many have ever read that? Verily, verily, I said unto you. Do you know what that means? How many times do I got to tell you guys? That's what it means. But he says, just have the people recline. You must mean we should go buy bread. Just have the people recline. And if you were here last week, you know what that means, right? Lay down on the grass, maybe on one arm. We went over that last week. 
Chill out. Relax. There's a lot of people here. I get that. But just have them recline. I got this. Well, don't have them. He, he wasn't like, have them sit in rows and, and let's get all organized here. He just said, have them sit in groups of 50, which is a little bit of organization, which is great. He says, and then just lean back on the grass. Let's, let's just chill. And let this be an intimate time of fellowshipping with one another, not a chaotic scrambling to get these people fed. You know, I, I remember this church one time um, who were just thinking about ways that they could show their community that they love them. So, so one of the pastors dreamed up this crazy idea of having an Easter egg hunt, but the kids wouldn't look for the eggs. They would just pick them up as hot air balloons dropped them from the sky. They really didn't know how it would all work, so they decided to just kind of keep it small for that first year. You know, kind of soft launch it, kind of be careful with it, not advertise a whole lot. And somehow word got out, social media blew up about it, and they had about 10,000 people trying to attend the event that year. The weather didn't cooperate and the balloons couldn't fly. They planned for a few hundred, only lined up two of those little outdoor porta potties. Didn't buy very much toilet paper for those porta potties. There wasn't even close to enough candy-filled eggs to bless everyone, and it shut down traffic in town for a couple of hours. And, and we, Indianola First, who put on this event, found out as a church that day how difficult it is to deal with unexpected numbers of people. It, it's virtually impossible. It's a little of what Jesus was going through this day and the, and the disciples. I mean, they're just looking for some seclusion. Jesus was just looking for a little bit of a break. And 10, 15, 20,000 people show up. They didn't even have porta potties back then. <laughs> I don't even know how that works. As the story goes on, Jesus took the bread and the fish all the boy had given, and he looked up to heaven and he blessed them and broke them. It's really hard not to think of communion with, this, with the language that's used here. And it may be worth some of you Bible thumpers to study that out a little bit. But Luke tells us that Jesus gave the pieces after he prayed for them, thanked and blessed them. He, he gave the pieces to the disciples again and again and again and again and again until the entire crowd was served to the point of being satisfied. That means they were full. Their bellies were full. And there were enough leftovers to fill 12 baskets. So those are some foodie facts around this story. Where, where's the beef in it? Or what were some of the truths that Jesus taught to these foodies? What are, what are some of them? And I'm not even going to hit them all, because when you dive into something like this, I mean, it just, it, there's a, it's a never-ending well of truth. And you just keep pulling it out, and you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. But I want to give you a few of them this morning that I thought jumped off the page at me. The first one, I think Christ was showing us, he exampled it in this story, be others-centered. Be others-centered. It's clear in this passage that Jesus taught us to focus on others, to be others-centered, versus living in a place of self-centeredness. He was hurting emotionally. He was grieving. So he withdrew from the people and took some time to just breathe. There's nothing wrong with that, by the way. That's, what, that, that, that's the point. He was so, so um, other-centered 
that he knew he needed to get away so he could fill back up so he could meet their need. Of course, it didn't last long because the crowds were relentless in finding him, and yet Jesus had compassion on them anyway. And he set his own needs aside to minister to others, and he, he did this with such beautiful balance. And, and I, I think it was, Devin, I was talking to you about it um, this, this week, and, it, and it, it, it's true. Jesus had this, he had this thing down where he spent time with his father every day. So it wasn't like his well was completely empty because he was constantly filling it. And then when something came in that, that took him for, for a loop a little bit and he needed to get away from people, he did that. He got away. He, he, he secluded himself. He, he withdrew from the people, even if it wasn't for long enough. And then what happened? The people came, but he was still ready to go because of all the filling up that he had done on a daily basis. Jesus was balanced. And you want to talk about a, a, a balanced approach to this? this is, it's just a beautiful picture of how balanced Jesus was. Because we know there's kind of two sides to this, right? I mean, we should always be helping people all the time, no matter what. And some of those people never take time to get filled up themselves. And then there's those people who never minister to anyone else because they're too busy always needing ministry themselves. Both aren't right. Both are wrong. But there's a balance of that. You understand what I'm saying? I might not have verbalized that the best, but there's a balance in that. We ought to be filling ourselves up. And, it, you know, the, the river of God, there's a river of life flowing out of me. You know that song? It's an oldie. It makes the lame to walk and the... Oh, good. I'm not the oldest one in here. <laughs> that river of life flowing through you, though, that's you filling yourself up and then letting it flow out. There, there, there's, no, there's no place for just getting filled, 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 minister to, minister to, minister to, minister to, minister to, minister to, because you'll just become, I shouldn't say this. That always means I say it anyway, doesn't it? <laughs> A spiritually fat Christian, right? You're just full, but you never give, you never give out. But when you give out and you open those spigots in your life where the, where the, where the, the ministry and, the, and the, the God in you can flow out of you and minister to others in need, I'm telling you, you got this coming in and this going out, and you're going to be a powerhouse Christian. But you can't have just one or the other. It's both at the same time. Jesus really exampled this for us. Um, he took some time, and I, I, I want to make this, this point. He took some time and he secluded himself to grieve and heal. Jesus did that. And it turns out that his time was cut short, but, but the truth is, is that he did that. Well, he's Jesus. Why did he need time? Because he was 100% human. He then ministered as he, had, as he had compassion on the crowds. He didn't do one or the other. Again, he was balanced. And I don't want to call anyone out here this morning. I'm not trying to do that. But you have to ask the question, which, which one of these traps do you most easily fall into? Because personality can play a big part in how you might lose your balance in this. So let me say it this way. If you are constantly receiving and never giving, that's a warning sign. And it's just as big of a warning sign if you are constantly giving but never receiving. You can't minister to people's hurts if you're filled with, filled with unhealed hurt yourself. And you shouldn't live in that place of unhealed hurt for so long that you never have the ability to minister to people who are hurting. I mean, you say it a lot of different ways. 
Jesus was so balanced in this, he knew how important it was to withdraw and find some seclusion to get the rest he needed, to, 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 to withdraw from the people just for a sec, to fill himself back up, to spend some time with his father. He knew he needed to recharge his emotional and spiritual batter, batteries. And if he needed to do this, if he needed to do this, then we need to do it all the more. And let's not forget, he didn't stay in seclusion for very long. His compassion for others outweighed his own needs, and so he began ministering to them. So, so how do we know when to minister and when to be ministered to? That's a question for the ages, I'm sure. But, but I think it starts with being full of the Holy Spirit and letting him lead us in that. And being honest about where we're at in our own spiritual and emotional condition. Jesus was so other-centered that he was willing to withdraw in order to be strong enough to serve those in need. I think that it's, it goes to motive of the heart. Why did he withdraw? Because he knew he had to be filled up so he could minister to the people like he needed to minister to them. And he withdrew to a secluded place, not for maybe as long as he wanted. But he did it. And we should do it for the same reason. Get healthy so you can become others-centered enough to help others. Be others-centered. An an another where's the beef kind of truth that, I, that seems to pop up off the page at me in this, in this story is God provides for the faith-filled. I didn't say faithful because when we say faithful, we think right away that, oh, that, that means that you're, you're, you're uh, dedicated, right? Faithful means dedicated, it's weird because that suffix does not usually mean that. It usually means you're full of whatever you said previous to it. So like faithful should be you're full of faith. But we, we have that word meaning in our heads anyway that it's just, oh, you, it means you're, you're, uh, you're dedicated. You show up. You're, you're faithful in your attendance means what? You, you show up all the time, right? So I want to say faith-filled. You're full of faith. God provides for people who are full of faith. The people in this, in the crowds here in this, in this story, they literally ran to be with Jesus. I want you to think about that. They ran. They ran to be with Jesus. The only time I've ever seen that is when, when I, I went down to the revivals that were going on in Florida and Pensacola, and during the altar time, when, when the evangelist spoke, and he, he spoke with such conviction, conviction he, he, he called people to come to the altar. I literally saw sinners running to the altar to get saved. What an experience. What an experience, running to be with Jesus. These people were running to be with him. And the result, they were taught about the kingdom of God. The power of the kingdom of God was displayed with healing miracles, and their bodies were fed the food that they needed. They were absolutely, completely provided for. They wanted to be with Jesus. They ran to be with him. Wouldn't it be something if people dropped everything and ran to church to meet with Jesus every Sunday? I mean, not to hear a pastor or sing with the worship team, but, but to just meet with Jesus. And I know we don't necessarily have to be with him in this place to meet with Jesus, but when we come here, we gather in his name. And Matthew 18, 20 says, for where there are two or three have gathered together in my name, I am there in their midst. So this morning, because we've gathered here in his name, he's here. He's here. You, you can bank on it every single Sunday, right? Because we gather in his name. You don't gather to hear me talk. That would be a waste of time. You don't gather just to, you know, rub shoulders with people. You can do that at Walmart. 
How many know you go to Walmart, you can't even really get out of there. You're talking to everybody, right? <laughs> when we come here, we gather in his name. We come here to be with Jesus. And if we just have that, that thought, like, I'm going to church today. I'm going to church, and I'm go- I know I'm going I'm to go with an attitude to minister to somebody else because I'm others-focused, but even in the midst of that, I know I'll be ministered to myself because I need to be ministered to. It's a beautiful thing that happens on a Sunday morning. And those of you that watch online, I'm so thankful that we have that, that, uh, that, that whole thing where, where you can be at home and watch online if you have to be. But, you know, if, if there's any way that you can be here, you, sh- you should try it. Because there's nothing like being in God's presence with God's people. This crowd ran to be with Jesus. They ran around the other side of the Sea of Galilee. That had to be a run. They beat him there. That had to be quite the run. I mean, I think Pastor Jared mentioned football this afternoon. I think there's people running all over the place for softball games, for soccer games, for basketball games, for this sporting event, that sporting event. None of that's bad stuff. Not ripping on anybody for doing that, but why not run to be with Jesus? Run to be with him. Maybe in your devotional time, maybe here at church, maybe on Sunday mornings or Wednesday nights. He's absolutely here because we've gathered in his name. These people were so excited and full of faith, they just took off. They were unprepared just to go where they knew he would be. Faith pleases God, church. Being full of faith. Why, why do I say that? Because that, that had to motivate them. Why else would you run? I mean, this is Jesus. He's better than Taylor Swift, right? He's better. Yeah. I mean, it's not even a comparison. We got Swifties all over the place. I hope we're a bunch of Jesuses. We just call that Christian. Christians. Swifties. I can't believe what's going on with that game. Ticket prices going way up because Taylor Swift might be there. Might see her way up there. That's Taylor Swift. Man, Jesus shows up here every Sunday. I don't want to be here. Right? I mean, come on. We got to get our heads screwed on straight sometimes. I'm not against Taylor Swift. Someone said, you, you're, you're, you, you spoke against Taylor Swift. Well, if that's what you think, so be it. I don't care. Faith pleases God. Faith pleases God. How many times did Jesus say to those he healed, your faith has made you whole? Your faith has made you whole. Not my super duper baby Jesus powers. Your faith has made you whole. If you knew Jesus was going to be somewhere, hey, at four o'clock today, Jesus is gonna be at the corner sundry, like in, in person. How many would go? Well, we have life groups, so we couldn't, you know, I mean. <laughs> we take the life group, right? If we knew he's going to be there, we'd all be there. We'd do whatever we had to do to be there. 
Hebrews 11:6 6 says, and without faith it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. I think these people ran because they knew there was, this was special. This was a moment in, in history. They could be with Jesus and their needs would be met. His power would be on display. They had faith that their, their sicknesses would be healed. They didn't care about packing food. They didn't care about putting a bedroll on their back. They ran to where he was with nothing. They just ran to where he was going to be because they were full of faith. God provides for the faith-filled. And don't, don't miss this within the true historical story, this, this historical story. The, the people acted in faith. They, they ran to where he was going to be, and they showed up, and he met all their needs. It's just that simple. People that are full of faith, they don't retreat from the Lord in the moments that they need him most. We're good at that, by the way. At the moment we need Jesus to intervene the most, we retreat sometimes. We retreat from God's people and we retreat from his presence. Why? I mean, I'm not saying all the time, but sometimes we do that. We, we, we're, we're embarrassed. We got ourselves into a jam, and so we're like, eh, it's my fault. I know it's my fault, so I'm, just, I'm not even going to take it to you, Jesus. I messed up again, so I can't, I can't go into this person. I mean, the second you mess up, the second you realize that, that you blew it, you better run as fast as you can to the presence of God. That's the place to be, not the place to retreat from. People that are full of faith don't shut down in their darkest hour. They open up and come boldly into his presence. So, you know, be other-centered, and, and number two, God provides for the faith-filled, and number three, this jumped off the page at me too in the story, be, be prepared to give your all. These people didn't even have enough sense to pack a lunch, except for one young boy, and a little child shall lead them. That boy, by the way, gave all he had he gave everything, five loaves and two fish. He held nothing back from God. Ugh, that'll preach, won't it? Don't hold nothing back from God. And God blessed the thousands upon thousands of people that were there. I mean, that's meat, if you think about it. That, that's meaty stuff for us to digest today. God provided for the needs of thousands, but it, it, it was after one young boy gave everything he had. What if we all, as God's people, gave like this little boy. Not just of their finances, but of all their resources, talents included. And out of these multitudes, he, he, he was the only one who brought something to the table and look at what Jesus did with it. I wonder if we all brought something to the table, so to speak, as a body, what would Jesus do with that? What could he do with that? Anything. I mean, this was one and thousands upon thousands were affected. So be prepared to give your all. We don't know a lot about this little boy. We just know he gave everything he had. And he must have done it willingly because it wasn't like, you know, the disciples were wrangling the fish away from him. They said, well, hey, all we have is these fish that were given to us by this little boy over here. Wow. Number four, look to Jesus first. The disciples tried to solve the problem before they even talked to Jesus about it. I, I made a point of that when we were talking about the foodie facts. They were trying to figure out how to feed everyone through their own efforts. 
They'd already had the fish in hand. They'd already talked to the boy. They'd already scanned the crowd looking for food. You know, what do we have here? Let's get this problem solved. And they're, Jesus, we only got this. Okay, that's all we got. Let's, let's talk to Jesus. Let's find, oh, we have a problem. We see it. We know it. We've all been talking. Let's, as Captain Obvious, 1 through 12, let's go tell Jesus what the problem is, like he doesn't know. There's a lot of people here. Got to feed them. They were trying to do in the natural what could only be accomplished in the supernatural. And church, we do the same thing. We exhaust all possible natural solutions because we're so brilliant and we're so spiritual and we're so amazing in all of our giftedness, right? We have all knowledge of our world, our little world, and so we exhaust all the possible natural solutions before bringing the issue to Jesus and sometimes I think we do that because we, we think, well, our problem's small potatoes. Jesus got bigger things to do. Um, he, you know, he doesn't need to waste his time with my little thing, so I'll, I'll, do, him, I'll do him a solid and, and try to figure this one out on my own. <laughs> George McFly, is anyone home? You know, I haven't done that in a while. I, we serve an all-powerful God. He doesn't run out of power. He doesn't run out of the ability to help every little need. I mean, he can... He can heal cancer, and he can heal Aunt Mabel's ingrown toenail. I mean, come on, he can do it all, right? There's not one need bigger than another. And it's, it's understandable that we do this, that these disciples did that. We, we live in the natural realm, so it's easy just to think in the natural. But as believers in Christ, our first thought, our first thought, our first action steps when trouble comes our way, should always be to go to the Lord with those troubles. I mean, how many times have you tried to solve a problem before talking with Jesus about it? And as you go to him and listen to what he says, he may have you do some very practical things to, to get it resolved. It must be human nature, I guess, but when you think about it, it is crazy. We serve the king of the universe the all-powerful, all-knowing, everywhere, all-the-time God who spoke everything into existence, and our first go-to is work it out in our own efforts and natural abilities. Doesn't make a lot of sense. Are you hearing me this morning? Yeah. Why try to do in the natural what can only be accomplished in the supernatural? Jesus is always the answer to what you're going through. Always the answer. Jesus is always the answer to what you're going through. He is the answer, always. I think I want to say that again. Jesus is always the answer to whatever you're going through. And, and he may use a variety of methods and means to get you where you need to be, but ultimately he's the answer. So why not consult with him first? Be obedient to what he says and, and then expect the miracle you need. Why well, need a physical miracle? Well, go to Jesus with that physical ailment. And you know what? He wants to heal you. If he tells you to go to the doctor, go to the doctor. If he tells you to get counseling, get counseling. But go to him first. Don't try to solve everything in your own ability. Look to Jesus first. I'm always fascinated by the significance of numbers mentioned in the Bible. And it says here, and I, I, we read it, and I, I said it again a little bit ago, but there were 12 baskets left over. And I was thinking about that. Why 12? You know, I always want to ask those questions. And maybe, maybe it doesn't mean anything. Maybe it does. But maybe there were 12 so that each disciple could carry and hold one basket of surplus 
as a visual reminder that their natural problem-solving skills had nothing on the supernatural problem-solving skills of Jesus. Like, whoa. I wonder where they carried that. Like, back to their little camp somewhere, or did they take it to the next town, or what did they do with it? But they were holding 12 baskets. So let's move to the take-home box. What can we take away from this? What do you do with these truths that 5,000 foodies at the first pot blessing were taught by the example of Christ? I want to do this in, in the form of questions, and you can write them down. I, I didn't put any up here for you to write down. You can write down whichever ones speak to you. But do you need to reel back any part of you that's been a little self-centered? Or are you other-centered enough to be cognizant of your own emotional and spiritual health and take the proper measures so that you might always be ready to minister to others whenever the opportunity arises? In your everyday life, do you, do you walk in faith? Do you live in that place where you know that Jesus has got your back and he, he's got what you need and he's going to provide for you? And you can put on that, that face of joy, not, not, a, not a fake face, but, but to walk in joy and faith because you serve a God who's got you in the palm of his hand. Do you run to him in times of need or do you retreat from him? Some might not understand that statement but I can't tell you how many people I've met in the church who stop coming to church because they get into trouble. That's the time to be here. That's the time. No one's going to judge you or cast stones at you or anything like that. We're just going to love you through it. What are you bringing to the pot blessing? Are you prepared? Are you willing to give him your all? There's a lot of things in this story, and they don't necessarily have to all connect. There's just a lot of truth here. Maybe it's hitting you somewhere, you know, differently between you, but what are you bringing to the pot blessing? Are you, are you trying to work things out using your own natural abilities, or are you bringing the issues that we all have in this life to the Lord so that he can supernaturally work them out on our behalf, on your behalf. These are questions I, I think the story just, it asks. And I want them to challenge you today, but, but in order for them to challenge, you have to be honest with yourself and with God and ask him to help you make the changes that you know you need to make. These foodies got more than they bargained for yeah, they were taught about the kingdom of God, they were healed, but how Jesus carried himself through that whole thing is really fascinating. As we pull those things out and we apply them to our lives, you know, which one of those spoke to you? Which one of those things do you need to take in and go, you know what, I need to let the Holy Spirit tweak me a little bit. You know, we get saved, we get, God cleans us up from the inside out, we know that's true, we talk about that all the time. But do you realize that throughout this whole life, no matter how long you've been a Christian, God still needs to tweak you every once in a while? We all need tweaking. The big things over, I mean, the, the big salvation, the big lay all the sin down, that, that happens. But then it's just this constant loving father who says, yeah, it's like an adjustment. It's like a, 
maintenance. It's like a, let's correct this a little bit. Let's, and he, he has us on this path of constantly being, I don't want to use the word tweak too much because some of you think the word tweaker, and I, we're, we're not talking about tweaking, not that. <laughs> but he just adjusts you a little bit. He just adjusts you a little bit. And every day when we allow him to do that, we become more and more like him. We're conformed more into the image of his son. So let's pray this morning. If you'd bow your heads. and Maybe you're here today and you've never, uh, never been to a church service like this in reference to just the, the singing and how we're even talking about the scripture this morning. I, I, I want to tell you the, 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 way, the reason why we're this way it, it, a little bit is because we believe in relationship and not in religion. Re- a relationship with Jesus and not just a big list of rules of do's and don'ts. When you have a relationship with Jesus it, that's personal and it's, it's real, it, he, just, he just changes everything in your life. And it's wonderful. You may be here today and you're like, I, I've never heard that before. I've, I've never seen that or understood that. But if that's you and you want to start a relationship with him, it's as easy as just asking him, as just saying a prayer and saying, Lord, come into my life, be my Savior, be my Lord. I choose you today. I choose you because you chose me first. And if that's you today and you want to begin a, a new relationship or maybe you want to rededicate your heart to Christ and all that he is to those that love him. Uh, would you just lift up your hand and say, yeah, it's me. I want that. I need that. Okay, see that hand? See that one? Put it up and you can put it right back down. There's a couple over there. Okay, I see those. I want to pray a prayer with you right now. I'm not going to embarrass you in any way, but would you just pray this prayer? I'll, I'll, I'll say it. You can repeat it. The whole congregation can repeat it with me. But let's pray it together. Lord Jesus, come into my heart today. I want to be in a relationship with you. I want it to be personal and real, not just a list of rules, but I want to know you I invite you to be my Savior and my Lord. I declare that you are my Savior and my Lord. Change me, O God, from the inside out. Help me to never be the same again. I want to be like you. Forgive me of my sins and help me live for you. In Jesus' name. I mean, if you prayed that for the very first time, the Bible says that all of heaven just started having a party over you. That's what it says. The Bible says all of heaven rejoices. I mean, they're just shouting and hollering and getting down because of what you just did. And I would say this to everybody else. Let the scripture challenge you as you read it. Let this story challenge you. Thanks for being a part of the Indianola First podcast. Join us next week to stay updated on our latest messages.